Welcome to episode number 10 of the Fit Farming Food Mom. I can't believe I am now publishing my 10th episode. It was a little bit scary to even publish one. But instead of procrastinating, I decided I was just going to jump and build my parachute on the way down. So anyway, as always, I am your host, Connie, and today I'm excited to bring someone on the show that I have been looking up to for quite some time. I am drawn to her because of her story, her openness about her personal journey as an athlete that felt like she lost everything when her basketball career ended. She tells about her struggles with her eating disorder that had been developing for a very long time and then the pivotal moment when it all came to a head. So today I'm excited to introduce Kara Lazowskis. Kara has her MS in muscle physiology and is a certified strength and conditioning specialist. She is currently doing research at the graduate level on muscle fiber type analysis and protein signaling. Kara has worked with multiple professional athletes from the NFL to extreme sports and has also worked as a scientist, physical therapist assistant, and a personal trainer and human movement specialist. Uh, she was also on the Titan Games, um, which I didn't watch, so I really don't know how that went. Maybe I should YouTube some of it. Uh, but I am interested in her story because coming from an athlete standpoint where we all have these dark times, especially when things may not go the way we had always planned and we have identified ourselves with a sport. So... She has so much great information to share, and without any further rambling from me, let's just hear her story. Alrighty, can you hear me? I can hear you, Cody. That is so awesome. I'm glad it worked. It usually takes a little extra time, so we're on the right track here. Uh, oh, anyway, yeah, exciting. So I'm so stoked to have you on to talk because I reached out to you because I love your story and it's not about the one lung part. I know everybody talks about that. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not about the Titan games. Um, the part oh, that God. I'm really, yeah. The part I'm really drawn to is that you talk about how you based your whole identity on your athletic performance and your basketball career. And you openly talk about that kind of downward spiral after you got injured and they said, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're not playing basketball anymore. And then you talk about your journey coming out of that, and I love your mindset. So mm-hmm. I'm so excited to have you on here, and yeah. I'm hoping you can get us started with where everything started for you as a child. Yeah, as a of course the if people don't know, listen to this at nauseum. People love to uh, emulate or speak upon the experience when I was three and a half and losing my left lung. I'm fine. Uh, that's here and there, but it does play a role into my story growing up as a child and the chip on my shoulder. I probably had, whether I knew it or not, subconsciously uh, since that age of three and a half, always being treated a little differently, first by doctors, by trauma surgeons, uh, by my own family. And then leading up into, you know, my later on into my younger years, being eight years old and finally being cleared to play sports, uh, contact, being cleared to play contact sports like soccer, such as basketball, uh, being in the second grade, and not only being the different one because I finally could play sports, but also always having short hair since I was very young as well, 
I was always kind of in this mindset of I have to prove everyone wrong. I have to show everyone different and be able to give them a different perspective that maybe wasn't their normal, but give them a new normal as to what fitness is or who can play sports and that it doesn't really matter what your experiences may be or what your peers may be. That's so awesome, you know. And, uh, you know, it's, I understand, you know, wanting to prove things to people. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, good for you. I mean, that's awesome. And, you know, it sets a great example for people, but that's not everything you're built on either. Correct. And I think it, I always say that piece of my story in the beginning of the years because it leads into what set me up for my downward spirals later on in life because so early on in life that's all I knew and that's all I was known for because and I loved it you know I never had any injuries again so to speak even though I don't consider getting a tumor on your lung to be an injury it was just an event that occurred you know I was fortunate it wasn't cancer but I think early on I just had only one frame of mind that was just sports and being fit and being a jock and being the healthy eater. I, I remember in middle school, I used to get made fun of at the lunch table with kids. Oh, she only has fat free milk. Oh, give her, you know, I just, it's been a part of my life for so long that it set me up to not know other aspects of life. Only that box I was placed in so young. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, moving forward, you obviously got pretty competitive with basketball. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, I got very into it. That's the sport I decided to dedicate my entire life to. Unfortunately, my human mechanics, my biomechanics had other plans. And I had five, well, five surgeries in total now, but three at the time when I dealt with, well, I wouldn't say deal with, but I probably always had issues with food and never had a clear conscience about it. But after the third surgery is when things really started to take a real turn. And I started to develop behaviors on an even more aggressive end towards not only my body image, but towards food. Technically, I was diagnosed in the hospital uh, with anorexia and bulimia, but I was more at this point in my life on the bulimic side. Come to find out later on that in high school, I had anorexia as well. I just was scared out of it because my high school teammates in basketball actually sat me down and had a little talk, like saying, oh, we don't see you eating. And I was like, I don't know, I'm eating, eating. And I kind of forgot about that part of my life until later years. I realized, yeah, I probably always had these uh, behaviors with food and this image towards myself that I just want to go to the extreme instead of having healthy uh, mindset towards food. Gotcha. And I can kind of relate with that. Cause back when I was in high school, I remember the same kind of thing, you know, I was always drinking slim fasts or, you yeah. know, uh, I was doing these crazy diets, you know, Atkins diet, I think was pretty hot back then. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. And so, and it was easy to, yeah, to go that direction. So I completely understand with that. At, so at what point did it really come to a head? It came to a head in 2000, well, late 2010, 2011. Uh, It was around this time of year, actually, right before Thanksgiving, the 
well, the day after Thanksgiving is when I actually got admitted into the hospital. But a month or two before, I went through a deep, dark place. Tried to, I, I say tried, but I probably wasn't trying in the first place, uh, to commit suicide, basically, and drown myself in alcohol and laxatives and, uh, you know, just end it all there. At, that was probably the deepest moment. A teammate had found me and put me into the healthcare center. She didn't know what to do, called 911. I don't remember this night at all. I just remember waking up in a psych ward and I was there for a week until my parents could pick me up. The university did not want to acknowledge me as a student athlete at that time. I was in between surgery three and four at that time. And that's when things really took a very fast and dark turn. I convinced my parents. Yeah. I convinced my parents I would be fine after that. They drove me back to New Jersey. I convinced them, oh no, I'm going to be on the right foot. I don't need therapy. I don't need this. Well, I definitely did. Uh, now that I look back and I was quite out of my mind in terms of how deep in the hole I'd gotten myself in. I was a hundred. Oh, I'll never forget looking at the scale and being excited that I was 95 pounds and I'm five, five. And I was the same height then. Holy and I'm one, yeah. And I'm 150 now. So, uh, <laughs> and people still yeah. say I look thin, which is funny to me because I had any pictures from that time. Uh, I look like a skeleton. Uh, I can only imagine because I, I think I'm five foot two and I look like a skeleton on the stage at 113 yeah. pounds. So, uh, yeah. I can only yeah. imagine what you look like. Yeah. It was quite something. I think I have maybe one or two. Well, I do have one picture that I don't think I'll ever take down just cause it brings reference to it. Uh, that time period is I did do a figure show in 2013 I still wasn't fully recovered. I was out of the hospital, but I was lying to myself and to everyone else. I was very good at being shady and discreet about what was actually going on and how healthy I really was or if I was recovering at all. And I had the wrong people in my life at the time. They convinced me to do a figure show and told me I look great. They were basically admiring these really offset behaviors. And I allowed them to because it fed my dark side and no one else was feeding it. So it was great. <laughs> Ironically, you know, feeding the dark side. Mm-hmm. And I actually won the figure show. That's I awesome. In, <laughs> yeah. I came in first place. Everyone was like, Oh, you're so satisfied. You look so great. And I do have that, those pictures, one or two pictures. I think even me when I won on my Facebook still, and I keep those up just because it reminds me of, even though I was two years out of the hospital, 2013, I was how unhealthy I still was. I remember throwing up that day and I still won the show. Oh my gosh. And so, that, yeah. Uh, that blows my mind, especially where you're like, okay, I was, you know, trying to recover for this. And then I went and did a figure show. And that's about the worst thing I think a person can do if they yeah. have body dysmorphia or any kind of eating disorders is decide that they are going to, you know, take some fat off and go do a bodybuilding show. You know, Yeah. I just, at the time, yeah, I won't, they're not worth it to even acknowledge their presence or even what state they were in. Uh, but these are people that own a fitness uh, business, place of business. And I trusted them. But at the time, I shouldn't be trusting anyone because I still wasn't recovered yet. But they they made it seem like there was nothing wrong with me. And I'm beautiful. You know, I'm going to do great on stage. I just do all these shows. But they just didn't care about me. They cared about themselves. And they were just selfish people. And they were also in the community of bodybuilding and fitness and did you know were pro bodybuilders and figure competitors themselves 
So I believed and trusted them at a time when really I wasn't healthy enough mentally to do any of that. Yeah. And that's a really another, you know, segueing off here, but that's another yeah. really bad thing going on with social media right now is oh, yeah. you've got all these coaches and all these people that know nothing and they're running these girls into the ground without taking into account their, their, their regular health, not alone their mental, you know, let alone their mental health, which is a huge freaking thing right now, you know? Oh, so yeah. these people Everyone. have <laughs> no idea what they're doing. Everyone know? on Instagram is, uh, a nutrition coach, a bodybuilding coach, everyone knows how to do a quarter turn and they're going to charge you $300 a month for it. It's one of my biggest yeah. pet peeves about the industry is everyone in a weekend can be an expert apparently. Oh man, it's, it's bad. He's like, yeah. I mean, I'm even, I, I have a lady right now that I'm helping with some posing and I'm like, I don't even, I'm scared to even do that. Cause I'm like, I'm no contest prep coach. Like, and she's yeah. like, please, you know, I just love you. And I don't want to, I've had bad coaching experiences. I just want you to help me with some posing. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. But you know, I've drawn the line right there. <laughs> yeah. So. And which, you know, it's a difference between people like yourself and then the both on Instagram who lie to others faces to make an extra buck. Uh, you know, when you're fully transparent with something like that, that's coming from a, an honest place and having integrity mm-hmm. versus I have zero respect for people who lie to clients just because it's easy to make sales. And I cannot stand when I hear people say, well, if you do it this way in this pyramid scheme or this, with these this framework of words, you know, you'll make a crap ton of money. You know, you can only work this many hours a week. And I call BS on that every single time, because if you're in this industry, everyone who's in this industry for truth and uh, integrity knows that there's no such thing as a couple hours a week and you're gonna make a lot of money. That's just lies. Right. You're you're in this full on. It's a very all or nothing approach, which and handled the right way is leads to an awesome life. But a lot of times you don't take advantage of that. Yeah, exactly. Well, so getting back into the figure show, you did the mm-hmm. figure show, you were still at a pretty mentally unhealthy place. And where was this turning point for you? Because, and then where did this fall with your basketball career? Because I know yeah. um, at one point you were told you weren't going to play sports anymore. Correct. Yeah. I, the turn basketball, was in between the third and fourth surgery. Uh, my, you know, I was in Slipper Rock, Pennsylvania, good old outside of Pittsburgh. I was still trying to live out this dream because my dream my whole life was to play overseas basketball. And I knew it was going to get bad after the third one with conversations with coaches and my physical therapist. And one day my physical therapist, my head coach, assistant coach, everyone comes in and says, you know, it's time. You can't, you know, the second and third one happened within four months of each other. And the first and second one were contact. This last one was actually within physical therapy, which is why I'm so into the wrongs within physical therapy now, because I didn't realize at the time, but later on, I realized I was just done wrong and these things could have been mitigated and maybe I wouldn't have torn it. But when they came into basically placed me in the room in physical therapy room everyone came and kind of sat down and had almost like a dr phil speech like a come to jesus talk about hanging up basketball shoes and Uh. how you you know it's the third one you partially just tore it again this probably gonna have a fourth surgery 
on the same knee. I think it's time, you know, the whole talk, I think it's time we just focus on academics. And I did not want to hear any of that at that time. Yeah, how, what do you say? How can you tell me this is my life? I, I was always told my whole life I'm fitter than every other player on the court. I'm this, I'm that. Like, why is it happening to me? And I couldn't figure out why, so I, I lost my mind. And I lost who I was completely to the point where I had no idea what to do, who I was. I had no idea who Kara was because all I knew was basketball, all I knew was sports. You know, you tell me I got to sit on the couch, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go absolutely crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I can't. I have a hard time doing that now. I'll study on a treadmill. I mean, I studied on a treadmill in grad school still. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Just because walking and Well, reading, you know, I find some of my best thoughts happen when I'm doing cardio, you know. <laughs> and a lot of research is backed by that, so no one can argue with me on this one anymore. A lot of That's research awesome. backs that memory retention when you're studying, lightly walking on a treadmill, you get – it's either 10 or 15%, don't quote me – more reten- memory retention of what you're actually reading. That's awesome. Well, well, I'm glad that I wasn't crazy by thinking that because yeah. I can't last contest prep. I spent a lot of time doing cardio and boy, I thought of some wild things yeah. <laughs> and I had to write them down every time too. So here I am, you know, I'm doing cardio and I'm writing down all these things that I think of because it's just mind boggling. Sometimes the things you think of while you're doing cardio. Yeah. Bill Gates swears by it. He calls it the, a think wink, a think week where he'll go on walks, he'll deplug, and that's how he's where he is, Bill Gates. That's awesome. Totally awesome. Yeah. So they told you you had to hang up your basketball shoes and just focus on academics, and mm-hmm. I can imagine your whole world just completely crashed to the floor. Yeah. I basically, I guess the right word for that is I don't remember a lot after that because in terms of the things I was doing to myself because my mind was so numb to reality that I like to think and how to describe people now is when I talk about it, it's like I'm talking about someone else's life. That's how detached mm-hmm. I was. And that's how reattached I am to myself now. That's how I know I'm in full, you know, I've been in full recovery because when I talk about it, it really does seem even memories here and there of that time seem like someone else's world and story, even though I know it was me, because that's how mm-hmm. detached from just my own brain I became. Numb to everything. was basically emotionless. I, besides the occasional crying, all I wanted to do was self-punish myself. I hated my guts. I didn't know if I wanted to live or die, but I know I didn't want to live well. I wanted to make my life as miserable as possible. And I, it took me longer to recover because... After I came back to New Jersey, I convinced myself time and time again that, well, it's actually would be more painful to punish yourself while alive more than it would be to just, it'd be an easier route just to commit suicide or, you know, take your life. That's how messed up I was at the time (laughs) that Uh. I made those decisions knowingly and continued to act upon them. And so by self-punishment, uh, what were you doing? I mean, like, mm-hmm. like, how were you self-punishing yourself? Uh, one of them would be, well, to name a few, the, one of them I would go to would say the most disgusting thing I could think of, like a donut shop. And I always call it going an emotional blackout. 
like to describe to people because I have mentored some people and really anyone that's gone hardcore through an eating disorder describes it this way. It's you feel triggered and then all of a sudden it's like this emotional blackout period where you don't really know what you're doing and why you're doing. You just know this is what you do. For me, it was and this how I punished myself was I would go find a McDonald's, a disgusting Chinese buffet, a donut shop, any of the nastiest, cheapest stuff I could find. And I would eat until I felt like I almost either had to throw up or I couldn't sit up, posture up straight without having enormous pain. And then afterwards, I would force myself to either take 30, 40 laxatives, chug something. I would steal stuff from CVS hoping to get, I know subconsciously hoping to get caught, uh, but I never really got caught. I don't know why I really didn't ever get caught. And I, I can't even remember how many times I've done that one. And then I would either go to the gym after expelling some of that stuff in my, that I've ingested and I would punish myself by going on the elliptical or usually at the time my stomach was in so many knots that I would just go on the elliptical, the stairmaster for hours on end, typically three or four hours, go on a sauna and like, two sweatshirts, two pairs of sweatpants and just sweats I couldn't anymore. I would go home and then tell myself I can't eat now for 48 hours or sometimes I'd push it three or four days. Now I'm not allowed to eat because you did that to yourself. Ugh. Well, and you know, as far as the eating till you're so full, like the binging, I've done that um, as a competitor. I oh, don't yeah. know who hasn't, you know, where you stuff yourself so full that you're just like, damn it, I want to puke. And then, yep. then all these thoughts start, you know, hitting your head. You're like, oh, my gosh, I just consumed how many calories? Yep. And <laughs> and I could easily puke right now. I feel like shit because I just ate all this stuff. And then that, that, that thought crosses your mind, like, well, why don't I just puke it up? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've thought these thoughts before, and I slam the door on them because I'm like, fuck that, not going down that road. You yeah. Know? <laughs> but I can see how people do – develop eating disorders over you know that too because it's it's so easy to to go down that road oh yeah once you learn the sickening part literally is once you once you learn and i hope to god no one listens to this and is like oh she said it's easy to learn and then once you do it's easy uh seek help but quite frankly it doesn't matter what i say it's good yeah you're in your own control because people develop eating disorders because they don't feel like they have control over their lives or the others in the room. So they finally find something that they control. So it's up to you to change that. Uh, nothing anyone else is going to do is going to change that. That's why it was definitely my thing of choice with punishment is because I mm-hmm. couldn't have control. But once you learn how to do that, and that's what scares me, is you learn once. And then every time you get full like that, you think about it and you know you can. And then you're tempted to because you know you can. So that's something it took me, that's really the biggest reason why it took me a couple more years to really be fully recovered. It's because every time I overate, I had those thoughts and it took a lot of self-awareness to not act on those thoughts and feel that like anxiety, like I, that I had to punish myself now and just enjoy it and know that, you know, you're allowed to have that every once in a while. You're, it's okay to feel pretty full sometimes like thanksgiving just happened and everyone yeah. and mother makes the comment that oh my god i was so stuffed and all the bulimia comments in the world 
Uh, I think every single person on Thanksgiving Day had said something like that to me. And they don't, you know, they know a little bit of my story, but I don't say anything because, yeah, then they get all uh, self-conscious. Like, they can't say anything to me. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, it's some um, elephant in the room, which is one thing I cannot stand. It's my biggest pet peeve. Uh, you know, you treat humans like they're human. An addiction is an addiction. And, uh, you know, it's part of the journey in anyone's life, so to speak. Yeah, but absolutely. I definitely get can't that's definitely my biggest pet peeve is how people look at eating disorders in america we don't look at alcoholics that way we don't look no. at you know any drug addicts the way we look at someone who has an eating disorder it's like voodoo Mm-hmm. yeah and they're afraid to, to talk about it exactly like you said that elephant in the room because yeah. it's like they think they're digging something up when in all actuality you know, uh, you know, I know several people actually that have had or want to talk about it because they don't want to see others go down that road. Correct. And it's so easy to go down that road because, well, we have a terrible healthcare system in helping bring awareness. And even in these rehab centers, they're the absolute worst thing, part, one of the worst parts of our system, American system our Western society is how we treat eating disorders and how we help them. I mean, Weight Watchers point system is not going to help anyone solve, you know, the identity crisis or whatever control aspect they're trying to release, which is why you have, you get diagnosed with an eating disorder. Well, Um, and I I hate to interrupt here, but I feel, and I'd love to get your take on this is I feel a lot of these plans out there, um, these fitness videos, all this kind of stuff, they're actually setting people up to have eating disorders. Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, Yeah, I definitely agree on that one. We have filled the pool with so many toys that people don't know how to choose, but all they see is bright, shiny objects of this person looks super skinny, this person... But I've had a lot of clients, athletes that I tell with all these nutrition plans and buy this, buy this fitness program is that the person you see on TV or in that magazine, guaranteed you do not look like that 364 days out of the year. They look like that for that one day, for that one video or that one photo shoot and get back to me when you see them on another day when they're not doing a, getting ready for a photo shoot or that video shoot. They're yeah. tricking you into thinking that that's what they look like 365 days a year. And no one looks like that 365 days a year unless they're on a lot of drugs. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's then, the sad you know. thing about fitness. Like even myself, I mean, I feel the best that I've felt in a long time and I'm 40 pounds over stage weight. You yeah. know, I'm lifting some heavy shit, but let exactly. me tell you what, like, yeah, you know, people walk into the gym and they're like, whoa, what happens to you, happened to you, you know? And yeah. like somebody the other day was like, I had to shut my husband down the other day because he came home and he's like, whoa, have you seen Connie in the gym? <laughs> and I was like, dude, I've switched gears. I'm powerlifting right now yeah. and I'm feeding, I'm feeling the fire here. So <laughs> and powerlifting's great for, you know, just healthy hormones in general. I mean, I, hey. when you have a thinner body type or more of that mesomorph ectomorph you know i definitely that was definitely the hardest thing for me is recognizing that i actually can eat way more calories than a normal female and lose weight (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> I definitely don't have a normal, at least right now at 28, I still don't have a normal metabolism. And I'm not uh-huh. nearly training as long or as many hours as I used to. But I still, when I go out with guy friends or other trainers, they always joke that I eat the same as them. That used to bother me, but now it never bothers me because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, if I don't eat like this, I lose weight fast and I want to be strong. <laughs> Right, exactly. Uh, I want to be able to lift heavy because that's what mode I am in right now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've it's taken me quite some time to get comfortable with it. But all of a sudden, I've, like, watched my look completely morph, you mm-hmm. know, into this. I have, like, a ton of muscle and I'm strong as shit. And I'm like, man, I like this. You yeah, know, I'm, that's a good I'm happy with this road that, you know, that I'm going down. And, you know, if people don't like it, then sorry, I'm healthy. I feel good and I'm living in reality. So... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's taken me a while to check out of that, but I like, I'm like, dang, you know, when I, when I pull a new PR, I'm like, this is awesome. I'm digging it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's something that I think will, oh, especially females will always be criticized. I've been criticized my whole life, whether it was my short hair or whether it was a, you know, and it wasn't a party trick. I've had short hair since I was five. Uh, You know, my mom cut it. I was wasn't of age to cut my own hair guy uh, is what I say to people so uh you know I like to lift I like to lift heavy I like to fight train I like I like all these things that are supposed to be in this box for guys and I think having females like yourself and other females and friends of mine that are changing the perception about what is health especially for females has been a huge game changer over the last yeah, even five years for even products that have come out. Mm-hmm. And well, and it's empowering to be strong. Oh, of you course. Know? Yeah, and there's nothing better than having a strong life and a strong back because then, well, you don't need spinal surgery. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So branching back off into. Uh, your eating disorder and your recovery mm-hmm. at what point was there a turning point with this? I would never, the hard thing for me is because I've been asked this before is that I never can pinpoint a moment or a day where it was, there was an exact turning point. But what I do know what happened is a moment here one day, maybe two days later, I had another moment of clarity or, something clicked in my brain like oh I actually feel okay and I mm-hmm. ate this okay like oh um you know I ate this and it was weird moments like that like I feel okay or I can still left heavy and I did that it was weird moments and clicks like that and my light bulbs went off over time one after the other it's almost like a puzzle piece they the puzzle pieces started being put together and then all of a sudden the whole picture was made and within, I would, it did take me some time. It was within two years, but during that two year period, it was a moment here and a moment there. And it built up into this, all of a sudden I turned around, I looked back to those 2010, 2011, the rougher time points in my life. And it was like, oh my God, like I've not, think, I haven't, don't think about any of those things anymore. I'm not doing That's any of awesome. that. And if there was a moment that was a catalyst for those type of changes and thoughts. I would say it was the moment I decided to sign up for Kokoro 34 
in Encinas, California in 2014. Yeah. <laughs> that, and see me, I dig this. This is, uh, yeah. this is totally awesome. I am like a total, uh, I don't know, military Navy yeah. SEAL buff, like Same. David Goggins and Jocko Willink are like uh, my heroes, you know, my kids own their books. And yeah. so to see that you went and did this, this is like, man, she is tough holy cow <laughs> yeah i still <laughs> because... go down there and do videography for uh every month or two they're all they're like family to me now but i learned to do uh some seal fit performance challenges every you know two months or so i'll drive down from la so tell people how you found this because yeah. this is this is hardcore stuff here well how i found it is actually very well funny now but at the time it wasn't i was puking my brains out crying wondering why, again, I did this to myself, why, again, I was going through this bulimic episode, crying. I go upstairs to my uh, my dad had, you know, one of the normal plug-in at-home computers, not a laptop, crying, I'm hysterical, feeling disgusting, bloated, what have you. And I type in Google on the internet. I don't know to this day why I typed this in. I just, some weird, I knew in the back of my brain, Hard, hard, hard military challenges. And then I put in toughest military challenges. And the first thing that popped up every time was seal fit. Kokoro. Seal fits Kokoro was the first thing that popped up on Google, on the Google search engine. And I had no idea what it was. I clicked on it, looked at all the coral pictures, like toughest thing, change your life. All, you know, the, you know, it's gimmicky words at the end of the day, but all the stuff. And I looked into deeper. I was like, "Oh, this is a real thing. Like, this isn't just like an obstacle course race. This isn't just a. This is a fifty-hour, no sleep, physical simulation, evolutions mm. and all, of Navy Seal Hell Week, but for civilians." And I was sold right away. Yeah, you know, I was looking for something that would change my life, for something better, give me a different perspective, and it said it right there in front of my face on the t- on the computer screen. That is going to change my life. So I was sold. And I did a whole PowerPoint to convince my mom and dad to fly me out to California. From New <laughs> Jersey. Because <laughs> uh, I knew they weren't going to be having it. Because they knew I wasn't fully recovered yet. So I really... when they, I knew when they were going to hear the word 50-hour physical and life-changing. That it wasn't going to make any sense to them. So I really had to... I remember doing the whole PowerPoint. At the why. All this stuff. Uh, <laughs> But during doing Kokoro, during Kokoro on the beach in Cenas, the second night is when I had my first kind of like aha moment. Because one of the evolutions is they force you to eat as much as you physically can after the second night of no sleep at this bed and breakfast mom and pop type restaurant. And it's just stacks of pancakes. It's just stacks of pancakes, butter, oatmeal. Yum. Yep. And they do it on purpose, uh, basically mess with your mind. And all the guys, like, I can't eat more. Some of the guys are throwing up. And immediately once you finish your meal, they may force you to eat it all. And it's just disgusting amounts. Like, think half, four July hot dog eating contest. But we were, I was <sighs> so hungry and so not on sleep, you know, the second day without sleep that, you know, some of the guys were eating food and the seals were yelling at us that we had to Everything had to be finished, or we're gonna have extra 50 more burpees for every piece that wasn't finished. And people kept bringing more food out, so I was like, you know, I got into competitor mode, and I wasn't thinking about the calories and the food anymore because I wanted to do well. 
So I started eating some of the guys' pancakes too. Me and another girl, the only me and this other girl were the only two females that didn't quit and graduated. Started eating all their pancakes. Well, a moment you finish, they start screaming at you to get outside and you start running sprints and doing burpees up this like 90 degree angle hill. It's ridiculous. Oh my god, puke. Uh, yeah, it's in NCS California, this is ridiculous. But some of the guys are throwing up, people can't move, their stomach hurts. My first epiphany was then because I'm going up with El Cino, and I'm like, I eat more than some of these guys. I actually feel good. I mean, it could have been the fact that, you know, you're so physically tired that I wasn't thinking about it at all, and they were. But I had a moment of, I ate a ridiculous, like, anyone would be sick, enos order or not, and I actually feel okay. Like, I don't have any urge to throw up, and it was a weird moment for me. But that was one of the starting points. It was during that, you know, forced behavior, basically, that I realized that, oh, I've been training really hard for 40 hours. I probably didn't need that much food. You know, I was going off with no sleep and doing physical challenges for, you know, two nights in a row. I guess I needed that many calories to feel good. And that's when the connections, the wiring started to be, Connecting again, connected again, where I was putting two and two together in a realistically and thinking of food as fuel for the first time instead of it being a punishment or a reward, like a dog. Man. And so after that, you had learned that fuel and food were, you know, obviously directly correlated. Yeah. And so you have obviously brought that back into your life after that but um after that like where how much I guess where did the the seal camp go like you finished it obviously mm-hmm. and you said now you go back and you do yep. all sorts of stuff for them yeah um it seems like a pretty hardcore camp how do people start out with this and then don't finish they have a lot uh I don't know they it is pretty hard so some people quit because of injury some people quit because they just want to say they got trained by a Navy SEAL and they have a lot of money, uh, which has actually happened because I interned there, interned with Mark and all that. That's how I got to know them on a deeper level uh, a couple years back. After I finished Coro, I actually went into the academy for a week, which the academy for the week is very similar with the evolutions and trainings, but you actually get to sleep. So you actually stay on the grinder and you get to sleep and you just wake up at, you know, Six in the morning the last night, they bum rush wake you up at 3 a.m. just to challenge you a little bit uh, and throw you in, make yourself in a sand cookie in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> but, which is what it's called when you have to go jump in the ocean in your clothes and boots and then roll in the sand, like head to toe in sand. I uh... think I found sand in crevices I never had before for weeks after doing both of those. Uh, I've read about that and yeah. it sounds like hell. <laughs> Oh, you just find sand. Like for we, I, I remember like months later being like, "How is there sand still coming out of my ear? Was it in my brain?" <laughs> like, That's weird crazy. Stuff. Yeah, weird stuff. But after I did the academy, I actually ended up intern, technically interning, uh, for the corals, for uh, two more corals actually, and seeing everything from the other side and how they operated, and I started to realize how much, even though it seemed like chaos how much control they had over each situation and how much of a mind game it actually was and a teaching tool. 
Because when you're in it, you don't, you're just thinking there's making shit up, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, crawl yeah. across here, taking this. You just think they're just being mean, they're just being rude, just to try to piss you off. But when you see things from the other side, you realize how ingenious and smart these, you know, men are. Mm-hmm. And how much, you know, thought goes into being a, a true warrior, as Mark says, or reaching that form of self-mastery, which really related to me and, you know, something I still have all the notes for everything in my life. I'm actually looking at the framed picture from Coral of 34 right now because it doesn't matter how many years pass, I'll probably always keep that with me somewhere wherever I live. Mm-hmm. Because it was a major turning point in your oh, life, yeah. it sounds like. It definitely was the the catalyst. Did I get full recovery after that? No, but it definitely was that the, probably the biggest aha moment I had. Yeah, that's incredible. So at what point did they recruit you for the Titan games? I want to know how yeah. this all falls into here. <laughs> uh, that I never wanted to do it, number one. Uh, number two, my friend would not stop. And she's, you know, an LAPD officer out here. And she, I don't even have a TV, so I would never even known about this if it wasn't for her messaging me voicemails you have to do the show you're perfect you got the best story you're fit uh and the deadline is april 15th so this was not this past year but the year before that and i you know i kept telling her no this is stupid it's with dwayne johnson you know how many fans are gonna pick the crazy people you know just for television it's hollywood i'm not gonna do it she's like just do it you know it it takes five minutes to application i'm like fine I did the video on my phone, didn't edit it. I was like, one, you know, one hit wonder over here. I <laughs> made fun of myself. I thought, some, you know, how I did the video was, uh, if they're looking for fitness, I guess what I'll do is jump rope, deadlift, swing a kettlebell while talking about myself. <laughs> so I thought it was a, like an SNL skit. Like, I didn't think there was no way in hell they were going to pick me. And I got a call then in July, actually before that, I guess May, uh, that they absolutely loved it. It was one of the best videos they got. And I'm going to, you know, can I block off these dates in September for filming? My, I was in complete shock. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't do the application. So I sent the application in like the day of the deadline, the 15th. And it was due that day. Like, send it in two, I think I pressed send two hours before, like, the time, too, on that day, which was, like, April 15th at 5 p.m. Never thought about it again, and I'm getting this call that they loved it. And some people that had been on the show had, like, professional videographers for the application and did all these photo, video edits and photo shoots, and I did absolutely none of that. I thought it was a joke. I thought there's no way, because 100,000 people applied, and I'm not a Hollywood type of person, and I see through bullshit pretty fast especially now being in LA, you, you tend to learn the finer things and yeah. uh, there's a lot of it. So I, that's how it happened. <laughs> and they're like, boom, here, come get on our show. Yeah. And I went to a combine in July, the combine, if anyone knows anything about fitness testing, it was laughable. You know, I was, me and a couple other people like Charity Witt who won the show. We're very good friends now. We're, you know, I just saw her two weeks ago. She was out here and we were, Hanging out, training, working out, lifting heavy and all that fun jazz. And 
we now looked at each other during the combine before they actually selected the final people. Like, is this, what is going on? Is this, is this equipment from Planet Fitness? Did they just say we're going to do a max deadlift, but we're going to do it with, like, hexagon plates? Or, like, a clean with definitely not Olympic bar. And they, they called the VO2 max test. Uh, what they called the VO2 max test was a test that they just put a heart rate on us and told us to run as hard as we could. <laughs> <laughs> and then get off it, which I couldn't stop laughing because I said, okay, so it's just to see how quickly your heart rate goes down. <laughs> yeah. VO2 max. It was just funny, but it was just for, you know, they essentially just wanted to see how we moved, I guess, what looked cool on camera. But then oh, they called yeah. again, the final people, and I was one of the final people again. So here I am blocking off dates in September to film, you know, a show I would never think I would get a chance to do, which wow. made it very funny for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> good PR, I guess. Yeah. I've honestly never even watched the show. I think I've watched, like, an ad, maybe I saw an ad on YouTube because I was yeah. watching some motivational video and I think The Rock was in it or something. I don't know. But of course. <laughs> anyway, so, but I just, I find it interesting that, you you know, they put you on there and I mean, that's, that's pretty cool to add to your resume, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it definitely was, again, I'm not the Hollywood person. I can't see myself ever being in a, a movie because I just, I don't like things that aren't real. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just funny to me because it's it's so fake, so much of it. Even that yeah. show, they, they tried as much to make it part of your life, but there's so many things when you watch that show, now seeing it like from the other side, I can't ever watch a TV show now because I know yeah. how much is altered. Even in this show where they really, you were praising how well they did a staying true to a story, but they still altered things. They still cut so many things out. Like, the one episode I did, I was like, oh my god, they really made it seem like she was close behind. Like, I, she didn't even finish that challenge. Yeah. <laughs> it's just weird stuff like that that I, I, I'm such a big person on integrity that I can't stand that stuff. That <laughs> It makes yeah. me hard, hard for me to take, do shows and take seriously because they want you to pretend, like, really believe them. And I just don't like believing in fake stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the quality part about it is, is it sounds like you made some lifelong friends in the process. And, oh, of you know, course. That's like mega bonus life experience. And, oh, yeah. you know. I would never, I'm never say uh, the experience was poor. It was a decision that I wasn't expecting, but one of the better decisions of my life to say yes to, even though I didn't want to, because it turned into a very good thing and another catalyst for my life and seeing things from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything's a learning experience. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand what I don't want in life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah. so what are you up to now? Um, I know you do a lot of research and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. What is, what did school look like for you? Yeah. So in school, I decided to go to the only school in the country that you can get your master's instead of going to PhD school. And spending more years in molecular muscle exercise physiology. So I studied muscle biopsies, uh, mainly that we took out of the VL or the outside of the thigh. And looked at hundreds of thousands of single muscle fibers at a time to see what happens during hypertrophy, during endurance exercise, during uh, different types of nutrition protocols, 
hit training was a big one. My my big uh, thesis, and will actually soon be published in the next couple weeks, on female versus male athletes during hit training in single muscle awesome. fibers. So I worked a lot of labs, spent you know twelve hours plus a day analyzing fibers, going through gels, looking at molecules and proteins, and uh, came to a place when I graduated in May. Decided I didn't want to go right into PhD school, and I wanted to be back in the field, whatever that looked like, uh, coaching and training for a few years before I made that decision to go back in academia, because I have way too many friends that go from master's to PhD to PhD to med school, and they're in school their whole life, and I just call them professional readers. (laughs) Yeah. Because they don't know how to work with people anymore, but they can tell you all the science behind why you do a kettlebell swing. But God forbid someone's in front of them. Yeah. Their personality, you know, they lose touch with uh, just personality traits and cueing. So one question, who signs up to do hardcore exercise and then get a freaking biopsy done on their leg? The hardcore people of the world, the savages, that's who does it. Uh, I mean, (laughs) I've had six myself. So. So. so Okay, I get yeah. that part. Like, especially because there are some people that are like just totally into fitness and they want to know every little mm-hmm. piece and part of it. Um, I'm one of those, but I swear that I have like starved my brain cells off through contest prep and I don't retain knowledge as much as I would like to. Huh. Uh, <laughs> that definitely <laughs> happens. I believe that. Oh, geez. But anyway, I'm like that. I mean, that kind of science is incredible, but it's yeah. like, man, that's that's pretty hardcore to be like, yeah, let's do this hardcore exercise and then get some biopsies yeah i mean you definitely have to be some type of human you have to have some different type of wiring to say yes to but what i tell people is don't youtube it because if you see muscle biopsy you're going to see the med school version which is not the same as what we do and what's done it in the lab at cal state fullerton what is done for a research biopsy after fitness it's only in a racer sized amount of muscle tissue it's not a chunk of your leg like you'd see on youtube like that's that's diabetics that's so you know obese clients we're looking at healthy fit individuals and it's maybe a quarter of an inch of incision you can train that same day a few hours after the biopsy you can train legs you're fine uh it's (laughs) (laughs) it's not just the size of an eraser it's no big deal yeah it grow. I mean, it regenerates in the next couple hours. It's, it's not the med school version. Gotcha, gotcha. I just uh, that was crossing my mind. I was like, who yeah. signs up for this? And you know, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so what this paper that you're publishing that's going to be out in a couple weeks? Mm-hmm. You said it's um, male versus female. Correct. Um, can you elaborate on it just a little bit more? Yeah. So we're, what. I did the, my main research, my priority was in looking at the differences between a molecule called AMPK, which is associated with longevity. It's also why metformin got so popular for type 2 diabetics. Uh, it's popular, very popular in why fasting works. Is this protein kinase called AMPK. And I was looking at the time course of it specifically to type 1 and type 2A, so our slow and our fast switch muscle fibers, 
zero minutes. So right after exercise, at, excuse me, also had rest. So four biopsies, rest. Then you had six rounds on the bike at a minute and a half, as hard as you possibly can go, about 95% of your VO2 max. And then a two and a half minute recovery, like basically walking. Six rounds down, then you got off the bike, did another biopsy. 90 minutes later, did another. And then the last one, the fourth one, was 180 minutes after. And flip-flops, legs, of course, just to save you some scarring. <laughs> and we looked at then males and females. So the goal is, and I can't say too much more than that other than we found for one of the first times the biological differences between male and females when it comes to nutrient timing post-hit training. Gotcha. So there so, is a huge difference between when you should eat your post-workout meal between male and females. This is very interesting. <laughs> I'm actually super excited to yeah. read about it. Uh, um, so definitely when you release that, shoot it my yeah. way because it was, yeah, I can figure it out on that. It was the first study on female athletes like this. That's awesome. And yeah. I think um, yeah. that's another thing is female athletes are so under-researched in just about yep. every area. Yep. Less than 50 females, just females, not even talking athletes, were ever biopsied in muscle since we've had this research ability to biopsy and look this way at muscle tissue during exercise where it's been hundreds and thousands of males until I went to this lab and now we have my study and then my first year there we did the first study on strength and power on the USA weightlifting team wow and found That's... enormous stuff there which uh, was crazy to see because we, show, we showed that suggesting for the first time that weight actually has big applications on your muscle tissue as well as your health and just because you're an Olympian does not mean that you're healthy from a muscle tissue span standpoint. So you could be strong as crap, but if you're obese, you're obese. Gotcha. That's, well, this is, yeah, I'm excited to read about all this. So that's yeah. going to be great. So yeah, cool. Uh, any like other, <laughs> are there any other studies that you're currently working on once this publishes or? Right now, just reading a lot. I actually have lifetime access to all full literature, any research that comes out new and old. I am like, the rest of the world, I guess, I'm one of the lucky ones that I don't have to pay for any of this. I have lifetime mm -hmm. access. So if anyone ever wants anything, just any even topics, just out of curiosity or just for your own knowledge, uh, I get all of it for, for free. The full lit reviews or journal articles or research at my disposal. That's awesome. So a lot of reading right now. And uh, in the field right now, I have a lot of clients. I'm training right now out of a place called Dog Pound in West Hollywood. Essentially, dog pound we work with a lot of the adam levine types and different clientele uh a lot of celebrities a lot of professional athletes a lot of supermodels a lot of figure a lot of bodybuilding and at that point in time i'm doing that while continuing to grow my own side personal stuff and read and continue to connect with individuals that's so awesome. Well, and I'm thankful that you're able to, you know, chat with me today about your story because I think that I know you got a lot going on. I think you just moved into a new apartment and you I had did. pneumonia and all this crazy yeah. stuff. A lot and of then fun you're like, sure, yeah, on. I'd love to talk to you. 
yeah, I'm all about human connection at the end of the day, and everything's uh, an opportunity. Uh, even yeah. you know when I took to take on the job, take on uh, the job uh, at Dogpound right now was I looked at it as an opportunity. You know, I yeah. I had a couple opportunities to work within the NFL, but it didn't happen because I'm a female. So things, I it's still a work in progress to start changing this community that still thinks. Uh, not still thinks, but because females have to mess it up for the females too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not just a one-way street. Uh, mm-hmm. But being able to start changing this game uh, for a better future for everyone, but yeah, it's going to take time. So, you also have been doing some MMA. Are you still Correct. doing that? Or? Yep. I still spar, yeah. I still box. I Right now, about Two or three times a week. Uh, ironically, I leave for Orlando on Wednesday just for what I like to call shits and giggles uh, to go <laughs> to the WWE headquarters in Orlando to have some fun and just do fitness all day at the headquarters. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah, it's technically a tryout for WWE, but I would never say yes to that because I know too much about that world. And I know how yeah. messed up it is. And I would never say yes to that just from a mental health standpoint alone. But uh-huh. it's a fun free weekend. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, it's a fun little break. Uh, and I just get to train. So who would say no to that if you like training? Yeah. And learning, you know, experiences and learning new mm-hmm. things and being involved in an atmosphere that you love, you know. That I would never otherwise get the opportunity. And I know sooner or later I've had people ask me for I'll get people that it is their dream to be in WWE or be a, a diva and I can then say I've had the experience to help them better yeah absolutely so well I guess I don't want to keep you on here all night and you've <laughs> told us so much about yourself um I mean I guess if you could tell anybody anything um, from your journey and the things that you've learned about yourself what would you share Mm, there's a lot yeah Yeah, the first thing that popped in my mind so I'll I'll go with that because clearly it mattered enough for it to pop up first is a quote that I was told my whole life but never really sunk in or clicked with me until I got older and especially moved out to LA uh, in Orange County is realize the importance of it and it's importance within myself with others and it's a dr seuss quote and it goes like this those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind i love it (laughs) (laughs) and my mom used to say it to me all the time when i was younger she's when i first came out here i was you know either feel homesick or this is going on she would text it to me it's something that never really clicked for me until I got much older. I don't even think it really clicked to me until maybe a year and a half ago when I realized what people said to me, or even if, you know, yourself, you're in the gym and someone's saying, why do you need to lift heavy? Why do you go do this? Why do you look like that? That, yeah. just, that quote just seems to resonate to all aspects of life to when people judge you or when people try to bring you down, the people only understand from their level of understanding and their perception, not from yours. And if you're trying to be bigger and be better, you got to understand that the only people that matter don't mind. 
and want to be around you. Everyone else can, you know, quite frankly, suck it, as I say. <laughs> I, I love it. I've been kind of preaching that myself because it's like you have so many people that, especially with social media now, that yeah. are like, I mean, I'll go to bodybuilding shows and they'll, they'll, they'll talk to you on social media and you'll walk by them at a bodybuilding show and they'll just, you'll be like, hey, how's it going? They'll be like, fine. And they'll just keep going. And you're just like, what oh, the yeah. hell? I've you done know? that before. <laughs> It praised yeah, like, me uh, on a DM. I didn't. I didn't message you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and I, 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 and I guess I'm. I have a fault, whereas I'm friends with just about everybody. I try to be, and I, you know, I'm like this super social butterfly, mm-hmm. and I had to learn to not worry about pleasing others. And you know, the people that want to be in your life, they'll be in your life. And Correct. They're not going to be those people throwing rocks at you. Yep, exactly, and it holds true. It's- the one quote in my life that I think has always to the T held true about people and people that want to be around you. It didn't matter what you did. They still wanted to be around you or what choice you made. They still want to be around you. They still want to keep you accountable and yeah, help you grow. That's yep. Amen to that. Yep. Well, I am so thankful for having you on here. Can you tell people how they can find you? Yeah. They can people, everyone can find me. Uh, on Instagram, yeah. it's a name I refuse to change because I've had it since Instagram opened. It is Killer with one L, so K I L E R K zero is my Instagram name. I do have a website, CaraKillian.com. You can message me on there, but best is always via Instagram, just because it's simpler. And I'm actually updating my website again through the contact. Uh, also, Facebook, CaraKillian. My real last name is Lazowskis which is hard to spell. <laughs> yeah. It's, and hard to pronounce too. I'll probably slaughter it. And yeah, it's girl, fine. Most people <laughs> I'm doing Lizus- my best girl. Yeah. Most people say Lazuskis. So that's the normal. Uh, gotcha. But I normally say Kara Killian, Instagram, social media. My website is com. But those are, I mean, Instagram, I'm pretty quick with it. So that's usually the easiest way to find it. Awesome. And you have um, multiple programs out there available to people and you do do some coaching, correct? Correct. So, you know, if anyone's looking for anything, they can contact you and you can point them in the right direction, I'm assuming. Correct. If I don't if I don't know the answer, I can't best serve you. I got plenty of friends that can best serve you even better. Yay. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much for being on here and taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me and um yeah this has been a great chat and i'm hoping that some people can understand a little bit more about their own feelings and you know find that they relate with you and that they're not alone in their journeys because sometimes it's easy to get in that box and think you're the only one suffering from something when there's so many people out there that just ignore the warning signs and you know try to bury it one of the biggest warning signs is ignoring others (laughs) yep yeah yeah (laughs) segregating yourself yep (laughs) there's the warning sign (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful night. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Hope you have a blessed rest of your Sunday. I will. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, that wraps up this episode. I feel so fortunate that I got to sit and have a chat with Kara. I love her story and I'm going to continue to follow her on all of her social media. I love watching her Instagram stories every day and I think she's just an inspiration and she's real too, which is kind of great considering in social media these days, 
there's a lot of fake stuff out there. So anyways, if you enjoyed the podcast today, please, please, please share with your friends. Sharing is caring. And the only way that I can get these kind of podcasts out there and help others and let them know they're not alone in their journeys is if it gets shared. Also, if you're listening to it on iTunes, if you could please leave me a rating and a review, it would be so appreciated. And I love any feedback I can get on this podcast, whether it be good or bad, because I want to know what people like and what they don't like. So it would be great if you sent me a DM on Instagram. I can be found at Connie Begani, C-O-N-N-I-E-B-E-G-O-N-N-I-E. And I would love to get your thoughts on things. So thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to hearing from you next time.